75 episode, we finally get a resolution to the uh, Petura affair. But which team comes out the winner? Kicking for goal seems to be off this season with so many points scored. Desi Tudnam has some interesting training techniques for the Bombers. And speaking of the Bombers, they're involved in another nasty spurt of violence. Tragedy strikes the Bulldogs at Western Oval. And every team in the league makes an adjustment to their uniform. We'll have all this and more after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast. It takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We've got no real qualifications, Charlie, apart from, you know, a bit of a thirst for knowledge, a few books um, and 110 episodes behind us. Yes, and passion. Still yes. passion. Um, welcome, Charlie, to you. How are you today? Oh, feeling great. Feeling yeah. great, Timmy. 60,000 members for the Ds. Yeah, fantastic numbers. Yeah, undefeated. Undefeated for the year. wonder if they still are by the time this uh, podcast comes out. Really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. We are here today to talk about the 1975 season. Three quarters of the way through the 1900s. Wow. We're really getting there. We really still are. Still like just under 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. It feels a lot... Sooner. Sooner, yeah. doesn't it? It feels a lot closer than 50 years. Well, we're under... Like, I get born in seven years. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, quick quick note that you know we occasionally do make mistakes on this show. We have got a few little reminders. Of course, we do that we make some mistakes. Hello, our listeners as well in Vietnam, um, Ireland, United States, UK, Sweden, a few different places around the world. Florida, we've got a few a few hits in Florida at the moment. So get a down there in Florida. Perfect. Hope the weather's nice. Swampy. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy it. Um, Charlie, let's get stuck into the, the first half of 1975. Oh, fantastic. Movie, uh, movie of the year, uh, song of the year I've got for you is a horror movie by the Skyhooks. Oh, great. Number one for two weeks. Also, shout out to Mamma Mia by ABBA. First song ever played on 2JJ, which is the original Triple J, I think. Horror movie horror right movie. there on my TV. There go. Is that, and this was the year that Triple J, or the original Triple J began. Double so J. there you go, yes. Double J. Uh, so, let's start on the 1st of January with some things that happened in 1975. Um, talking Watergate scandal, a few of those guys were found guilty of the cover-up. John Mitchell, H.R. Holderman and John Ehrlichman were found guilty on the 1st of Jan. Wow. And then it's all dusted. Uh, on the 1st of March, we had Aston Villa winning the Football League Cup at Wembley, beating Norwich City 1-0 in the final. Uh... On the same day, we had Australian television switching to colour full-time. Wow, and that had big ramifications in the football as well. Certainly did. We'll talk about that. On the 3rd of May, we had West Ham winning the FA Cup at Wembley, beating Fulham 2-0 in the final, and both goals were scored by Alan Taylor. Uh, And West Ham legend Bobby Moore appeared playing for Fulham against them, which, you know... We all know those those Premier League, well, not Premier League at this time, but those Premier League supporters are super, you know, passionate, passionate and you know they don't they don't care if, if one of their players changes teams. Uh, 
No. Oh, yeah, they do. Uh, Super on the 25th of May, we had Golden State Warriors winning the 75 NBA Basketball Championship. In Washington? Uh, not sure. Okay. On the 27th of May, we had uh, the Philly Flyers defeating the Buffalo Sabres 2-0 in Game 6 of the Finals to win their second straight Stanley Cup in the NHL. And in June, from June 7th until June 21st, we had the first ever Cricket World Cup. Oh, Kerry it Becker. Was, yeah, it was held in England, and the West Indies defeated Australia in the final. On the 23rd of August, and I wonder whether they, they, we'll get to this in Around the Grounds later, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, Glen Elg kicked the all-time record score for a major Australian football competition. Ooh, what was it? They kicked 49-23-317 to the Central District District's 11-13-79. Fred Phyllis kicked 18 goals and Peter Carey kicked 8. Huge. 49-23. Yeah, uh, on October 21st, we had the World Series... And the Boston Red Sox defeated the Cincinnati Reds in Game 6 off Carlton Fisk's 12th inning home run in one of the most famous World Series games ever played. Uh, and the following day it ended with Game 7 in a broadcast that broke records for a televised sporting event at the time. Also in 75, we had Picnic at Hanging Rock released, directed by Peter Weir. Huge hit. Yeah. Very creepy film. Yeah. Wonderful. We had Think Big winning the Melbourne Cup, Cup, jockeyed by Harry White. And we had uh, Kialoa taking line, line honours in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, yacht race with Rampage being the handicap winner. And one other thing that happened in 75 that I didn't get an exact date on, they kept talking about jumping around in the legislation, was Victoria abolished capital punishment. Wow, okay. Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Oh, would you like to hear about some people that were born, Timothy? Yeah, how many you got for me today? Uh, not too many. Okay. I'm, I'm keeping it keeping it lean. So we've got uh, 4th of February, Natalie Imbruglia. Yeah. 19th of March, Matthew Richardson. Yeah. 19th of April, Jason Gillespie, the cricketer. 21st of May, Anthony Mundine, the rugby league footballer, boxer and Big mouth. Big brother star. Attending. Yeah. The 27th of May, we had Michael Hussey. And 9th of June, Andrew Simons, great cricketers. On the 7th of July, we had Vossi, Michael Voss. And the 9th of October, Mark Viduka, soccer player. And uh, what year was that? 2006 World Cup. Australian Legend. captain, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, let's get stuck into the 1975 season. Let's do it. Let's start with some league news. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. As you said, Charlie, um, colour television is now in vogue. It's here. So we have some new playing colours for the team. So we might go through these as we talk about each team. But they are brighter, so they are they stand are, out. They are definitely TV. brighter. They are a bit ridiculous. Bit of bit fun as well. Yeah. I, like, I don't mind a bit of a change. Um, the Blues haven't changed too much, have they? No. Or Collingwood. Yeah. yeah. Surprising. Mm. Um, in the preseason, Melbourne was runner-up to Essendon. In a charity football Olympics competition. Hey! The team included Graham Osborne, who was second in the 100 metre sprint, Robbie Flower, he won the 1500 metre steeplechase and ball race. Stan Elves was second in that steeplechase. 
Wayne Domenico, Domenico was third in the 1600 and the 800, and Peter Keyes is the 800 metre winner. Fantastic. What a fun event that must have been. <laughs> I'd actually, I'd pay good money to watch that now. I don't like, know if I'd pay good money. I'd pay some money to see it. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I'd watch it for sure. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, a night series was proposed by Channel 7 as well, shortly before the season began. Is it like a pre-season tournament? Coming coming back. Yeah. Or but pre-season, not for the miser-outers of finals. Well, it's before the season, yeah. yeah. Um, but it didn't take place because only five of the 12 clubs voted in favour. But we are close to some kind of night series coming back. Yep. And finally, the Centre Square uh, replaced the Centre Diamond. Oh, yeah. Which we've been using for the last two seasons. I so. sort of forgot about that we've been doing that. Yeah, the Centre, Centre Square's here to stay. To stay. They, it, it starts and it... Yeah, there we go. So, Charlie, let's work our way up the ladder. Let us do it. So, in, 12, to top. in 12th spot, right at the bottom, is South Melbourne with two wins, 20 losses, and a meagre percentage of 75 uh, coached by Graham John, captained by Pete Bedford. Yes, um, and tell us a little bit about their, uh, their colours as well. How ah, change? yes, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about South Melbourne's colours. So, they are running, the jersey is white with a red V from the shoulders to the chest, red cuffs on the sleeves and the collar. The socks are the red and white hoops, and the shorts are red with a white stripe. Or... White with a red stripe, yeah. depending. Has it changed much? Well, no. I don't think it really has. No, not, not really. It's probably oh, just it, brightened up. It's and a it's brighter short. red. You're right. It's a brighter red and red shorts. Yeah, red shorts. Whereas all teams were in black shorts. Black shorts before yeah. this, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great. Um, I've got a great debutante name for you as well. Go on. He might, he's up there with a, a, a do perusal in terms of maybe possible like winning it just, straight away. Yep. Gary Cowmeadow. Yeah, great. Um, we've also got Rod Coley, Colin Hounsell, Dennis Pagan from North Melbourne. Oh, yeah. And Mark Browning. Can you tell us a little bit about Mark Browning? I would Charlie? absolutely love to tell you a bit about uh, Mark Browning. So originally from Beverly Hills, Mark was recruited by South Melbourne and made his VFL debut in 1975. He was a tremendously versatile performer who was a regular Victorian representative and always gave good value because of his ability to play equally well in a variety of positions. Love a good swing man. Yeah, absolutely. Love a good swing man. All right, now, Charlie, the Petura affair dragged on over the preseason. Oh, yes, of course. Carlton, Geelong, Collingwood also were in the running for a signature. And he actually trained with the Tigers prior to round one, which the Swans were not happy about. They lodged a formal complaint with the VFL. And this kind of dragged on across the start of the season. But let's get stuck into that season. Round one, it was a spiteful encounter with Collingwood and the Swans went down by six goals. Disappointing loss. Um, and they rolled on with loss after loss after loss. Fine, And I, I believe a lot of this was to do with, do with the Petura affair. I think it was a massive distraction. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But on the eve of round seven, the Swans finally released Petura to Richmond in exchange for Brian Roberts and Graham Teasdale and $40,000. In a separate deal, they also got defender Francis Jackson. I feel like they really won that one. Yeah. Yeah. All three would play in the round eight match against Fitzroy with the Lions winning. But the three players showed a glimpse of something. The Swans also won admiration from the wider public to actually standing up to Richmond and refusing to be bullied. Oh, good. Oh, so what, uh, Richmond looked at as kind of a powerhouse. Yeah. Don't you remember last year's Brownlow where they, got, they were angry that Kevin Butler didn't win the Brownlow and they got into this big fracas? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and the way they try to start arguments with the VFL at the start of every season, they're just and they're poaching players. They've taken players from like Footscray and Geelong and yeah. Ian Stewart, so they've kind of been doing their own thing and and getting away with it. And for South Melbourne to finally stand up to them, I've, everyone was admiring. It's like them yeah, for that. come yeah. on, yeah, yeah good. <clears throat> Round nine with the new recruits playing, Teasdale kicked four goals for. Whale Roberts provided great ruck work and access to the midfielders that led the Swans to an emphatic 37-point win over the Cats, which was their first of the season. Then a run of 10 more straight losses followed. However, their new players were doing well and slowly turning the club around. So after 10 consecutive losses, the Swans beat the Cats again in round 21, attacking the ball harder. The game was close late, with the difference only two points at the last break, but the Cats took 18 minutes to score a goal. The Swans scored through Bryce, Goss, Gull and Bryce again to win by 17 points. So only beating the Cats twice this, this season and quite a, a disappointing season, but a few new pieces here to, to build yeah, around. Yeah, interesting. They're sort of they're coming, bringing it together, right? Yes, Which absolutely. Which is nice. Yeah. So the lead goal kicker at South Melbourne, Graham Teasdale, with 38 in the 15 games he played once yeah. he got there. Yep. Pretty impressive. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 75 went to Peter Bedford for the fifth time. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So between Bedford and Skilton, yeah, they've two have really... They've won... I, I actually would love to count that. Hang on. So, so in from 58, when Bob Skilton won his very first uh, Bob Skilton medal, yeah. <laughs> South Melbourne Best and Fairest, uh, we had... A run up until 75 of when Peter Bedford won his last one. There were only three years in between there. 60, 66 and 72 when someone other than Bob Skilton or Peter Bedford wow. won the best and fairest. So we had Skilton winning in 58, 59, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 67 and 68. And then Bedford 70, 69, 70, 71, 73 and 75. <laughs> That's, that's pretty incredible, that's isn't amazing. it? <laughs> what a run. Yeah. Uh, sorry. 11th spot. Who is yep. Geelong? And the only team that South Melbourne beat twice. Yeah. Surprise. Uh, with seven wins and 15 losses and a percentage of 78.2. Coached by Polly Farmer. Captained by John Sammy Newman. Their, their um, uniform hasn't really changed too much. No, no. So should say it's, ba- it's basically exactly the same. There's navy blue shorts and and uh, the hoops. The, the hoops the are a bit hoop thinner. The, yeah. the only difference is the hoops are a bit thinner. But that's yep. yeah. Could could they have gone a lighter blue, or would that just be taking the piss? Probably. Well, then you're worried about. I mean, I know clashing with North, North, and, but and even the demons. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm. All right, some debutantes we have for the Cats. Are Alan Woodman, Murray Gilmore, Graham Landy. They got Phil Baker from North Melbourne and Brian Cousins, father of Ben. Oh, Cousins. nice. Yeah. Uh, pre-season, the, the year for the Cats got off to a stinker with one of the team's best players, David Clark, breaking his leg and he would miss the whole season. Ah, oh, killer. Um, so it was round four. At, so the Cats lost their first five games. But a few little interesting things. He ran four at Victoria Park. Errant kicking cost the Cats a valuable win against the Pies. Ken Nelland had seven shots on goal. He kicked one goal, kicked three behinds, one poster, and missed three altogether. And if I mispronounce that name, apologies, Ken. The Cats took until round six to win their first game when they travelled to Windy Hill to take on the Bombers. And although Graham Moss was best on ground, the Cats were the better team. Their ruck rover, Rick Brown, worked tirelessly, and Rex Hunt kicked four. Uh, their first win at that venue in five years. 
They made it two in a row. Uh, at the end of the Saints-Cats game at Caledonia Park, it was quite exciting. The Saints led by nine midway through the last one. Barry, Gr- Barry Breen kicked what he thought was the winning goal. But the umpire ruled that Cowboy Neil had infringed on the play and the goal was not counted. Even so, the Saints thought they had this game. Cats full forward Larry Donahue played like previous Cats full forward Dougie Wade, um, a real engine, uh, a real goal kicker. Uh, the Cats, led by their engine room of Newman, Turner, Kloster and Woolner, fought back to earn an eight-point win. In round 10, it was the 300th match at Cardinia Park. The Cats were taking on the Demons. Geelong trailed by six points at three-quarter time, but produced a five-goal final quarter to win by six. The move that won the game was the switch of John Scarlett to attack and Rex Hunt to defence. Captain Sammy Newman was best on ground. And an interesting side note, goals by Newman and Cousins were both kicked using old-fashioned drop kicks. Ah. Not really in vogue anymore. Round 13, new recruit Phil Baker from North and third game player Brian Cousins helped tear the game against Fitzroy Open. Baker kicked 3-6, but the Lions did not give up and came within two points in the last quarter, but the Cats thankfully hung on to win. In round 14, the Pies led the Cats by 11 at three-quarter time at the Cattery. However, led by a mature-age ruckman, Lee Crawford, who dominated Len Thompson in the ruck, the Cats piled on eight goals to one to run out 31-point winners. Round 16 was Sammy Newman's 200th, but an unfortunate loss to the Kangaroos. In round 21, a crowd of 11,022 people turned up at the MCG to watch a non-match, really, between Demons and the Cats. So really cellar dwellers and nothing really blowing yeah, not on this. Yeah, a lot of fun there. The Cats were the better team across the three quarters, but the Demons worked hard to cut the margin back to one straight kick. A few more minutes and the Ds might have won it, but the Cats were saved by the siren. But then the Cats finished on a high. They defied the trends of their season to play great football against the Lions. They were first to the ball. They chased. They contested. They outbumped and always backed up their teammates. John and Sammy Newman dominated the ruck. Paul Serra kicked seven goals as the Cats won their final game of the season by 26 points. Nice. Good way to finish. Yeah, but dis- I mean the Cats are quite low down there and disappointing for Polly Farmer as well. Yeah, and also to give up two games to the guys who are obviously the wooden spooners. Yeah. A bit disappointing there. They could have made a bit of a difference. They could have moved up to... Well, they would have well, said 11th. Yeah, yeah, but still. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the lead goal kicker for Geelong this year was uh, Ian Nankervis and Larry Donahue shared on 20, with 29 each. Yep. Um, and the Kaji Greaves medal in 75 went to the captain, John Sammy Newman. Yeah. All right, let's move up to... Uh, uh, moving, up, moving up the ladder. Tenth. To 10th spot where we have those not-so-mighty Ds, as you said, the cellar dwellers again. Uh, but getting up a couple of spots off from the wooden spoon last year, so you've got to be feeling good about that. And they have not been afraid to change their uniform. No, have they not? No. Uh, so they are now looking uh, royal blue rather than navy blue uh, with, a, with a red V, the red yoke, red socks... And royal blue shorts. Oh, Norm Smith will be rolling in his grave. Love every minute of it. It's great. But this is their. This is now their away jumper, is it not? Yes. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. Love I, it. I like that. They Love that it. VFL blue. It's great. So nine wins, thirteen losses for the D's. Ninety-three point six percent. Not too much has changed. Coached by Bobby Skilton, captain still by Stan Alves, but Robbie Flower obviously back. Back in yeah. after a year where he sort of wasn't around too much last year, right? Really? Oh no, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'll double check that. Cut that if I'm wrong. Yeah, I will. Um, all right. Some debutants though were Gary Guy, John Sparks, Greg Hutchinson, uh, Glenn Wally, and Laurie Fowler, who came from Richmond. 
Another debutant was Colm Graham, an Indigenous player hailing from Narunga land at Point Pierce on the York Peninsula. Nice. Round one at the MCG, Bobby Skilton's side has too much run for the dogs and Carl Diderich repaid the faith of selectors to be the best man on the ground. Stan Elves, Robbie Flower, Greg Wells and recruit Marty Lyons were also prominent. The D's winning in the wet by 11 there. In round two, they took on the much more fancied Kangaroos. And the game started as expected and the Demons were five goals down at one stage in the second quarter. But Charlie, you'll be happy to know they struck back and at one stage they actually opened up a 21-point lead over North. Nice. North did charge home in the final minutes but when Stan Elves, who had been beaten all day by Keith Gregg, he broke free to kick the winning goal at the 28-minute mark of the last quarter. It capped a huge early season upset, the Dees winning by two points there. Nice. Round six, the Dees were on the back foot against the Swans early, but really turned it around to register a big win. Uh, Peter Keenan, Crackers Keenan, was forced to run off the ground after the game to avoid being mobbed by well-wishers <laughs> at the final siren. He racked up 20 kicks, 15 marks, 18 hitouts in a dominant performance, which helped Melbourne dominate the game. In round nine against the Lions, it was a remarkable game at the G, actually, where Melbourne opened up a seven-goal lead in the second quarter before the Lions hit back, and at one stage, the Lions led by five goals of their own. They actually kicked 13 goals straight to a shell-shock Melbourne. Um, but despite a couple of seemingly consolation goals, the Roys were still 20 points in front at the 20-minute mark of the last quarter, but the Ds piled on four quick goals to snatch an 11-point victory. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it would have been a great game. In round 11, against an injury-depleted Magpies, the Ds jumped to a four-goal-to-nil start at quarter time. And it looked as if they would romp to victory, but the wounded pie struck back to be within seven points at halftime and then took a lead late in the game. The Ds, however, steadied to win by 22 points. Oh, good. <laughs> good. In round 15, it took until the third quarter for the Ds to get on top of the Bombers, but when they did, they put the game away, kicking eight goals five to four goals four. Resting Ruckman, Stephen Smith benefited from Gary Hardiman dragging his opponent away from full forward, the old Norm Smith tactic there, to, uh, to kick six goals, five of them in the third quarter alone. <laughs> Round 17 was an unimpressive win over the Swans, but more impressive was the next week's win over Richmond. Carl Ditterich returned from six weeks on the sidelines with a leg injury, not, not suspended, which you might suspect, <laughs> and he was the chief destroyer and helped steer the Demons to a 35-point lead. Um, the, D, the Tigers did hit back, and they hit the lead at the 16-minute mark of the third quarter after four goals in seven minutes, but again, Stephen Smith uh, steadied for the Demons, and then they added three more for the quarter to turn for home with a comfortable lead and they ran out 37 point winners against the reigning premiers I might add yeah amazing round 19 they made it three in a row this time against the Blues and although Melbourne were wasteful 5-19 to 5-8 at three quarter time uh, this could have proven fatal if the Blues had managed to fire in the last quarter but six goals in the last quarter alone for the D's delivered a victory that kept the Demons in with a remote chance of cracking into the five but don't get your hopes up because they lost their final three games. Oh, to, just threw uh, it away. Yeah, to, to miss finals again. Ugh. Yeah, that's how frustrating. Because that sounds like we had some good, really good wins against some quality opposition. Yeah, some be better. Bobby Scott would be happier. Yeah, this with season. that. Absolutely. That's, that's a bit disappointing. But, you know, what can you do? Get better. Get just better. keep on yeah. getting better. Yep. Blood those youngsters. <laughs> that's what it's all about. Uh, so... Our lead goal kicker, the D's lead goal kicker this year, was Greg Wells with 32. And the Keith Bluey Truscott medal in 1975 went to Laurie Fowler, Captain Stan Alves, coming second. Fantastic. All right, moving up to Fitzroy. Yes, in ninth spot. 
the Roys uh, with nine wins and 13 losses as well, but a slightly healthier percentage than the days of 97.1, coached by Kevin Rose and captained by John Murphy. So Fitzroy has... We, well, it's the jumper we sort of know. Oh, it is actually, yeah. That, this is what Brisbane wear when they play now. When they play now. So it's that light maroon with the royal blue collar, cuffs and yoke with the gold lion over the over the front. Uh, oh, sorry, over the left breast and then the the uh, the big FFC in the, yep. in the middle. Um, the socks are light maroon and royal blue. So maroon with the royal blue top and the shorts are the royal blue what we or don't, gold. Yeah, so what we don't see there is for away games, they wear gold shorts, which is the same colour as the FFC on their chest, which, which is, looks ridiculous. It'd be incredible. It looks ridiculous. Anyway, good on them for being ambitious, but it just doesn't seem to match. <laughs> no, no. It doesn't quite work. Gold shorts is gold pretty hectic. I mean, not with the lot. red and the blue. Anyway, um, some debutantes for Fitzroy. So who do you have coaching them? Uh, Kevin Rose. Yeah, so two-time VFA Premiership coach and ex Magpie, Kevin Rose, um, brother of Bob Rose. Yes. Oh, brother of Bob Rose. Okay. So I think this is the last time we, before the Scott brothers, Scott brothers came in. That two brothers brothers had coached. Coaching against each other. Yeah, I believe. Um, Some debutantes we have, Rod Appleton. We've got Peter Ruskalich, who is the younger brother of Alex Ruskalich, who retired at the end of last year. John Lorenzini, John Christou, and another player which you may have heard of, Called Graham Allen, yes. better known as Gubby. Yes. So Gubby Allen commenced his senior career with Sunshine in the VFA before moving to Fitzroy in 75. Clever, highly skilled and very adaptable. He was a prominent player in the VFL. Uh, after his playing career was over, he became a prominent football administrator, initially with Collingwood and Brisbane and now GWS. So yeah. yes, most people know know him as as an administrator now, yes, don't absolutely. they? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So Rose's first game as coach wasn't too bad, as it was a five point loss to the reigning Premier Richmond. So not a bad way to start. No. Um, round four was actually their first win, which was a thirty point win over the glamour side of the competition, North Melbourne. A seven goal third quarter was one difference. Peter Ruskalich the other with six goals. Round five, Fitzroy versus Essendon. The game lay in the balance in the last quarter when play had stopped after Peter Ruskalich was concussed and lying face down on the ground. This incident seemed to moment, seemed to stop the momentum the Bombers had and they couldn't really get it back. Um, I guess the game stopped for a little bit and they cooled down the Lions held on for a three-goal win. In round eight, the Lions started sensationally against the Swans, kicking six goals with the wind in the opening 20 minutes and was ultimately what won them the game. In round 12, they took the Tigers on at the MCG. Their trademark of the season was like never giving up. And they were, they were in a lot of games till the end, telling in the last quarter when the, line, when the Tigers led by three goals and the Lions pegged them back to win by two. John Murphy with five and 24 disposals was best for the Lions here. Uh, Fitzroy was clearly the better side against the Bombers, although the Bombers took the lead twice in the second half. Both times the Lions were able to dig deep dig deep and retake the lead. Five goals in 12 minutes during the last quarter for them sealed a 38-point win. In round 18, they got another big scalp, becoming only the second team in the season to beat the Hawks. The key tactics Kevin Rose used was creating a loose man, getting their flow-on game going and playing attacking football. Alan Thompson was one of the better players, although he was crunched early by Kelvin Matthews and probably shouldn't have been playing. 
but it's the 70s and there's no concussion tests. Nah. <laughs> John Murphy, 33 disposals and three goals along with Gary Wilson. Round 19, the Lions were still up and about after their big win and rode their momentum for a good strong one over the Swans. Alan Thompson with 38 disposals, four ahead of John Murphy. Lions by 17. Fun fact, this game had the equal most points ever scored in a second quarter. Both teams missing the goals nine times. So for an aggregate Eight, of 18 behinds. 18 behinds, wow. Yeah. In round 20 against the Ds, a four-goal lead at quarter time put them on their way. And Melbourne barely made inroads during the second term before going backwards in the third. The Dees charged home to get within four points in the last quarter, but aided by atrocious kicking for goal by Fitzroy, um, the Lions eventually won by 11 points. In round 21, they firmed in their title of Giant Killers when they won their fourth game in a row, beating Carlton by five points. Their fleet-footed Rovers ran Carlton off their feet, and Ian McCulloch in the ruck took it right up to Percy Jones and Mike Fitzpatrick. And finally, round 22, at least the Lions were able to finish the season off on a high, knocking off second-place team Carlton by 22. That's wrong. Is it? Yeah, because they just beat Carlton in round 21. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Fitzroy, this is a constant pattern for Fitzroy. It takes them a while to get their season started. By the end of the season, they've got the game going, but have, have already made, missed out on finals. Yep. I feel like that's always what happens. They seem to be doing that quite a bit All at the, this I feel time, like the doesn't last it? 30 years. Oh, really? Just like, yeah, yeah, the last 30 seasons, that's what they've been doing. Some, just getting it sorted a bit too late. Yeah. Will they do it again this year, Tim? This year? No. Oh, no, sorry. The, the Brisbane the Lions? Team. Yeah, yeah. No, they've kind of got themselves together, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, winners for... Oh, Gordon yes. And- yep. So our lead goal kicker down at Fitzroy was uh, Renato Serafini with 34. And the Mitchell medal in 75 went to Warwick Irwin. Very great. Which takes us up the ladder to eighth spot, where sit the same old Essendon. With 10 wins, 12 losses, and a percentage of 90.7. Captain coached by Tuddy again, Des Tudnam. And look at their change of uniform as well. I think with the red's got a bit brighter here. The red sash has got a bit brighter. And the red shorts with the black stripe. Red shorts is interesting. Yeah. We brought that back for a few, for some uh, away games or clash games maybe eight years ago. Don't love it. Yeah, I don't love it either. No. And the uh, the black and black and red hoops, which... Yes. Yeah. Which we'd had black and red hoops On the for socks, a while, but just I brighter, say, yeah. brighter. Yeah, brighter. Yeah. Um, some debutantes for the Bombers were Greg Bell, Jim Demetrio, Morris Boys, Adam... Uh, Andrew Radchenko, William Berry, Brian Walsh from Carlton, and Larry Watson, brother of Tim. Ah, okay. Another one of these uh, brother or brothers yes. that we have coming into the team who's kind of the unsung brother with the, uh, the superstar brother. Yeah. Um, Ken Fraser also returned to the club as an assistant coach. In round one, Essendon used its speed and precision to cruise away from the Saints in the first half of the game at Windy Hill and ultimately won by 69 points thanks to five goals from Simon Madden and four from Alan Noonan. The Bombers' second win of the season over the Swans should have been called Mossy's Game. Really? Graham Moss dominated the centre square of the Lakeside Oval, collecting 14 kicks, 22 handballs, 15 marks, and kicking two goals in the Bombers' 29-point win. Jeez. We haven't had like a someone's game for ages. Yeah, yeah. It was more of a thing of the 20s. It was like... Duncan's, a, Duncan's Yeah, game. with all the marks and... Yeah. 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 We haven't had that in a long time. Bring it back. Uh, round three, taking on the Ds at Windy Hill. 14 minutes into the second quarter, Ross Brewer kicked his third goal to extend Melbourne's lead to 23 points, and they were laughing. Jeez. <laughs> but the Bombers kicked three goals to close the margin to a goal, and by the 10-minute mark of the third term were three goals on their own in front. 
The D's only had themselves to blame for the shocking blunders, which included Crackers Keening collecting the ball in the back pocket, handballing blindly over his head to the square where the ball landed in the arms of a Nessendon player who kicked a simple goal. What is that? That's, uh, that's Demon Circa 2011, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds a bit <laughs> like it. Just throwing it away. Round four, there was a record crowd of 77,770 at Waverley to watch the match against the Blues. The committee actually offered the players a $500 bonus if they won. Uh, and when they did, led by Simon Madden with six goals, one, and the D, the Dons won by 17 points. It's actually footage of this as well on YouTube if you want to watch it. Um, the Dons were able to beat the Bulldogs in round seven thanks to Ronnie Andrews at centre-half back playing a brilliant game and cameos from Alan Noonan and Robin Close to help the Bombers to a 41-point win. Round nine, the strategic move that helped the Dons beat the Roos at Waverley was Des Tudnam switching usual full forward Robin Close as a half-back flanker with Gary Folds playing forward and kicking three goals. Don's beating the Roos by 15 points. In round 10, it was a loss to the Tigers, but coach Desi Tudnam broke his leg and he missed the last 12 matches of the match of the uh, season. No. Um, Bomber's clearly missing his on-field leadership in that time. But still obviously coaching from yes, the sidelines. Yes, from side the sidelines, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, now, Ray Smith was traded to the Demons after round 12 and made his debut as a defender for the Ds in the same week. In fact, he was training at Windy Hill just two hours before being selected in the Demons lineup for that match against North. Really? Yeah, Essendon cleared him the next day for what Secretary Ivan Moore declared a very reasonable price. Okay, there you go. In round 13 against South, it was Barry Grinter who shut down Graham Teasdale and helped Essendon into a hard-fought three-goal win at Windy Hill. Now, round 14... There's another big blue at Windy Hill. This time, Essendon and Carlton get into a big fight, which we'll talk about more when we get to Carlton because it was really a Carlton, Carlton win, so we'll talk about it with them. Yep. However, it's Des Tudnam's response to this, which is quite controversial. Oh, okay. So at training that week as, I guess, a punishment, he demanded the players crawl on their hands and knees around the training oval twice. Wow. So they had to get down on their hands and knees and go right around the whole yeah, 400 okay. metres twice. So on reflection, Ken Fletcher says that Tuddy lost every single player for the way he treated them that day. He lost every player. Uh, Tuddy also later admitted it wasn't the right thing, but also noted that following that, he told the players to go and get a couple of slabs, and they kind of sat back and opened fire at him and, and got things out. Um, so there was a bit of stuff brewing under the surface. Yeah, obviously. obviously. And, and this kind of plays out over the next few weeks as yeah. well. But how can you make players crawl on their hands and knees? How degrading. Yeah. So... That can't be just a reaction. It must be a thing of, you know, this happened last year, now it's happening, happened again yeah. both times with us. Is it just like we... Yeah, it's not... That's not the way to get something done, no, is it? No, he's in his third year now at the club, so he's, you know, is he scratching the barrel for ideas? Anyway, there's people asking those questions at the club around this time as well. Are. In round 17, the Bombers took a trip down to Geelong on the Friday night again. And a player meeting set the standard for a 15-point Bomber win. Walsh with six goals was the standout. Round 20, the Bombers took advantage of the Roos team missing Brent Crosswell, Doug Wade and Slam and Sammy to give the Roos their first loss in eight matches, their second loss, second win against the Roos this year. Mm. Round 22, the Hawks cruised to a 21-point lead at halftime against the Bombers and then went to sleep. The accurate Bombers kicked seven goals, one in the third to take a five-point lead heading into the last the Hawks did rest back the lead briefly, but the Bombers, led by Brian Walsh with seven, won by seven points. The Bombers finished with 17 men after Ken Fletcher broke his leg during the third quarter as well. <laughs> At the end of the season, greatly dissatisfied with the approach of coach Desi Tudnam, the club asked him to move on. They, they paid out his contract and basically got rid of him. Yeah, wow. One of the reasons being the fact that over the last two years, they've been involved in this massive brawl with Richmond and now this massive brawl with yeah. Carlton. 
Um, he got them a bit of success early, but really his uh, his legacy is, is that playing the man, not always playing. Yeah, playing, playing the football. ball. Yeah. yeah. So sort of an undisciplined, heavy-handed approach. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Okay. And they decided after three years, well, let's you know, let's let's get rid of it's that. It's not giving it. It's not getting us the results either. Like yeah. you'd let it. You'd let it go if a bit of white line fever was meaning you were playing finals. Yeah. But yeah. One of the other things is they're trying to. They're starting to realise having a playing coach isn't actually ideal because when he got injured, he kind of, like, he can't help you. Like, it's harder to make decisions when you're on the ground than what you're actually seeing. So I think they're actually realising we need a coach who's on the boundary watching the whole game rather than one yeah. on the field. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's coming across everyone, It right? is, and it came so to, especially, it was highlighted, I suppose, during the 1973 Grand Finals when John Nichols was taken out in the first five minutes of the game. He then couldn't coach for the rest of the game because he was uncon- he was concussed. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of the dangers of having a playing coach. They're, yeah, they're really finding that out now. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, so the lead goal kicker down at the Bombers this year was Alan Noonan with forty eight, and the Crichton Medal in nineteen seventy five went to Graham Moss for the second time in a row. Mossy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so taking us up the ladder again to seventh spot is Footscray. Uh, so coached by the other Rose, Bob Rose, captained by Laurie Sanderins. They had 11 wins, 11 losses, and 94.8%. Very similar coloured shorts to the Bombers this red. They've got bright red shorts. Bright red shorts, slightly slightly brighter sort of jumper, right? But not much else. It is, well, it's, it's, I think it's that more the look I know from the 90s, where it's the red band highlighted by white around the middle yes. as well. That's how yeah. I remember the dogs having their... Yeah, the white, Yeah. so the red band with white on either side of the red band, then blue, red collar and, and uh, cuffs. And the hoops on their socks are a bit bigger as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big bands. Yeah. Cool. Um, they got some new recruits, Ian Lowe from, Cram- from Canberra, Neil Saxe from North Adelaide, Peter Featherby from Subiaco, and Lee Perusic. Uh, round one was an 11-point loss, but the debut of Neil Saxe was important and impressive with 14 disposals and a goal, as well as Ian Lowe, who had 25 disposals, kicked two goals, three. However, Charlie, tragedy struck in round two. In the team's 33-point win over Fitzroy, new recruit Neil Saxe collided with a Fitzroy opponent um, and he suffered a spinal cord injury, which left him a quadriplegic, oh. quadriplegic, um, which was a horrible freak accident. There was no rhyme or reason about it. He was bending over to grab the ball. He got kind of crunched and, yeah. Oh, my God. Spinal cord. Troy defence under terrific pressure. The ball forced out. Oh, Saxe got one. Top of beauty. And Saxe goes down halfway between the centre-half forward and full forward position. Four foot straight. He copped the real beauty. Yeah, absolutely devastating. So, yeah, big big fallout from that week. Uh, it was a really tragic week, and the Doggies did it for Saxe against the Cats Cap- the next week. Captain Laurie Sandlins was best on ground for the Dogs in an eight-point win. In round four, the Doggies handed out the Tigers' worst beating in years, holding them to just four goals for the whole match. The move of Laurie Sandlins to centre-half forward was the catalyst for the Dogs taking control. It didn't help the Tigers' cause. They, only, they kicked only 12 behinds in the third quarter, 12 behinds straight. Oh, Really? Then the Doggies put the foot down in the last, kicking seven goals, eight to the Tigers, one goal. Oh. The Doggies made it four in a row with a hard-fought victory over the Pies at Waverley. Sanderlands, again, the big influence. Dogs scored six goals in the second half, and Sanderlands had a hand in every single one. Then was a four-game losing streak. <laughs> Dogs were able to kick more accurately against the Swans, which was their saving grace in the end. 
Uh, the Swans outscored them in the second half, but the Dogs won their first match for five rounds by two points. Two points, yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Round 12. Squeaker. Yeah, round 12, the Doggies started the better side against the Demons, and the game was close at half time. Marty Lyons kicked the first two goals in the third turn to give the Demons a lead, but from then on it was all the Bulldogs. Kicking against the wind that quarter, they piled on six goals, one to four, three, and added another seven in the last term. Bernie Quenlin and Calvin Templeton both kicked six goals each. In round 13, the Doggies' better play on the ball was a major contributing factor to them beating the Lions. Sandilands at fullback was great. Quinlan with four goals. Peter Featherby with 32 disposals were the Dogs' best in a 13-point win. In round 15, the Dogs beat a lacklustre Cats, outfitted by 44 points at Western Oval. Uh, then three weeks later, they had one of their best wins at Windy Hill in a long time against the Bombers. They built a lead over the game to win by 44. Quinlan best on ground with six goals. Featherby was also explosive. In round 20, the Dogs were angry against the Hawks, especially after Grant Simmons was felled by Lee Matthews early on. And then when, Ma- um, when that man Matthews kicked four goals in 14 minutes, the Dogs looked really shaky. But the Dogs dominated the ruck and in the last quarter ran over the Hawks, kicking five goals to two to win by two points. Again, they won a few games by two points now. Mm. Round 21, the Dogs played one of their best games of the season in beating the Swans by 40 points. But if you went into the rooms, they wouldn't know they'd won, as the news from Victoria Park filtered through, meaning they were now out of the finals contention. And they lost their final game of the season. I suppose they didn't really feel like winning it because they couldn't make finals anyway. Yeah, well. That's it. Yeah. 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 But a high, high finish for the Dogs. Yeah, and not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, lead goal kicker... Uh, Quinlan? No, Laurie Sandlins with 47. Okay. So even though he played a couple of games down back, yeah. Quinlan second with 36. And the Charlie Sutton medal in 75 went to Gary Dempsey for the fourth time, wow. third time in a row. Yeah. Some superstars yeah. floating around at the moment. Uh, so that takes us up to sixth spot on the ladder, our final non-finalist. Yes. Uh, Maybe their, their last hurrah for a while. Yes, yes. Going out with a whimper, unfortunately. <laughs> the Saints. Uh, so with 11, again, 11 wins and 11 losses, but a slightly better percentage of 101.4. Coached by Jeansy, captained by Barry Lawrence. Yes. Um, all right, so some debutantes. We've got Colin Carter. Yes. We've got Bill Cannon, who I really hope is a forward. <laughs> and Trevor Barker. Trevor Barker. So let's talk about Trevor Barker. Uh, St Kilda recruited Trev from Cheltenham and he was a consistently eye-catching performer for the club in a variety of roles. He was one of the most popular players at the club and a superb aerialist who pulled down numerous speckies and who reportedly hurled his slight 183-centimetre, 70.5-kilogram frame where angels fear to tread. 70 kilograms sounds ridiculously light. Doesn't it? <laughs> That's ridiculously light for a fully grown man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a few things pre-season here at the Saints. It started with internal conflict between the social club and the football club. And though it was resolved before the season started, it would have long-lasting ramifications. Former captain and Brownlow medalist Ross Smith returned to the club as an assistant to Alan Jeans. He had retired in WA and had no intention of playing. Um, also, former captain Stuart Trott, who had lost the uh, vice-captaincy this year, became kind of a bit upset with the club. There was contractual disputes, so he crossed to Hawthorne. Yep. Which is ironic because he's the one who uh, talked about knocking out Lee Matthews 
in the 71 grand final and they had a bit of uh, a bit, bit of, of a throw. Yeah. Didn't knock him out. He wanted to even up the score. Yep. Um, look, the highlight of the opening two rounds, which were both losses, was the debut of Trevor Barker. I think people could see something special there. In round three, the Young Saints um, earned a win over the Swans. George Young with two goals. Trevor Barker with one four, but lots of the ball. And Peter Bell also doing well. In round four against the Demons, the Saints got five goals from Barry Breen and four from George Young en route to a 53-point win. Robbie Flower was knocked out in this match in a behind-the-play incident with Robbie Muir. Round six, the Saints had luck on their side when they beat the Lions by eight points. Now, late in the last quarter, you like this, Charlie. The Lions' Chris Smith marked the ball just at centre-half forward, but while the umpire had his head turned, Cowboy Neal just crept over the mark a little bit, so when, the kick, when he came in to take the kick, it was smothered. Neil sent the ball down to attack where Russell Green was able to get a go-ahead goal. To I seal love the match. that. That happens every once in a while. Just creep over the mark. Yep. Or and just like, the, or mark it and then step right back if they haven't yeah. noticed. I love that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's really um, frustrating now watching it. Because you see it on TV. Yeah. And you see, like it's right there, but someone's missed it. Um, round seven, the Saints travelled to Geelong, but the bus broke down on the way. Then, trying to make up time, the bus driver took... A shortcut through the docks, <laughs> and when trying to turn around, the bus was damaged. Oh, God. Um, Robbie Muir and Cowboy Neil hitchhiked to the ground. They got off and hitchhiked because they needed time to get ready and they had strapping and stuff. The team arrived at the game only 15 minutes before the bounce. So it was impressive then that the Saints only lost by eight points. Why does this always seem... The Saints are always seem to rock up late and, or come out late. Mm. <laughs> Not tactically, either. No. Um, with injuries mounting up, Alan Jeans then convinced Ross Smith to come out of retirement and play for the Saints again. So he suited up for the Saints in round 10 and their loss to the Ruse. Round 11 was a game of contrasts. After a half of football, the Saints had kicked one goal, eight, trailing by 48 points. But Alan Davis came on and changed the game. Over the next two quarters, the Saints kicked 13 goals to the Tigers' three and the Saints ran out 12-point winners. Cowboy Neal was the Saints' hero with three. Uh, and Russell Reynolds absolutely shut down Royce Hart in this match. In round 12, the Saints completely reversed their 69-point loss to the Bombers in round one by beating them by 68 points at Moorabbin Oval. Cowboy Neal with 7-4, Pell Callery with 29 disposals and 2-2. The Saints started well, and when the teams went into the quarter-time huddle at Moorabbin, the Saints were nearly six goals ahead. The ease of the game was highlighted by Saints defender Neil Bazanko running 70 yards to kick the last goal of the first term. Saints winning by 52. What am I talking about there, though? <laughs> ah, in, in round 14 against the Demons sorry. sorry I'll then add that I'll add that to the start okay what am I talking about <laughs> in round 15 Alan Davis got the Saints off to a good start against the Swans with two quick goals as the Saints took control early they built on their lead each quarter, eventually running out 10-goal winners. Davis finishing with six, George Young with four, and Glenn Elliott with 34 disposals. In round 17, they beat the Lions by 31, but the scoreboard doesn't show that the Saints trailed for much of the day. They took until the 16-minute mark of the last quarter to finally take the lead. Paul Callery was the Saints' main man leading the charge. In round 18, the Cats jumped the Saints early at Waverley with Sammy Newman on top in the ruck. But the Saints played a grinding game and eventually wore the Cats down. They got on top in the last nine minutes of the game to win by four points. Prior to the round 19 match with the Bulldogs at Witten Oval, uh, George Young was struck down with the flu, so was put at full forward, and he responded by kicking nine goals for the Saints in a 68-point win. Maybe we'll call that the flu game. The flu game. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the Saints lost their last three games and missed out on a spot in the finals by two wins. Yeah. So there was a, there's a fair bit between 
they're finalists and the non-finalists. There's a good gap. So if, yeah, they two two wins and well, the Saints have a better percentage than fifth. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So sorry. Uh, the lead goal kicker for St Kilda this year was George Young with 53. Cowboy Neil 32. Not quite firing. Yeah. In this year and the Trevor Barker Award in 1975 went to Jeff uh, Sarau. Yeah, I guess. Sorry, I might be pronouncing that wrong. My apologies. I always butcher it. Jeff Sorrell. Okay. Uh, yes. Great. Um, well, that's the end of uh, the first half of 1975. I can't wait to hear about more of these uniforms, Charlie. I know. I know. There's some good ones coming up too, aren't there? There are. Uh, so, yeah. Very, uh, very exciting times. And we didn't actually say it then, but St Kilda didn't do Oh, any, St Kilda haven't changed No anything. change at all. No, no. Exactly the same. That's why we didn't mention it, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, looking forward to hearing more about the finalists, the Brownlow, the finals. I wonder if North can finally win the flag. I wonder if they can do it. Mm. Spoilers. (laughs) Well, until next week, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.